0: It's Jim Paff, and welcome back to the Against Nice Podcast, where we believe that nice people are the cruelest of all people because they're subjective and selfish in the way that they address society. Kind people have the interests of others in mind, but they speak truth into society. Follow us on iTunes, give us a five-star rating, and also uh, give us your review of the podcast. You can also follow us on Spotify, Stitcher, iHeart Radio, and many other podcasting apps. Now let's get to the show. This, folks, is a very timely podcast that you need to pay close attention to. You know, I was um, listening to the last presidential debate between Biden and Trump, and Joe Biden started to bring up again this healthcare is a basic human right sort of talk. And, and I think on my end, uh, when I hear that, every time I hear that, I'm just saying to myself, listen, what's a basic human right is for government to get the freak out of the way of healthcare so that people can make the best choice for them. The biggest problem in healthcare right now is what government does, not its availability. Government makes it unavailable, which continues uh, this entire process that we go through where people, um, uh, politicians are, are able to use this as a wedge argument against their opponents. Well, that made me immediately think about my friends, Greg DiTillo and Dave Racer. They've done a lot of research on healthcare. They've got a way to help us get to the free market. Their understanding of the history and operation of health insurance is very deep and comprehensive. We talk on this podcast about some things I guarantee you you've never thought about, and it's a real help to understand why we're in the problem that we're at, uh, what needs to be done next, and how to get things through the political system that is can be palatable to politicians and that can really help us get to answers on healthcare. So, welcome, folks. I um, have uh, two very important individuals that you've never heard of <laughs> on the show today because we're talking about healthcare. You know, uh, my friends, uh, Greg DiTillo and Dave Racer, have done for years a lot of work on healthcare, what to do, what we need to consider. They researched it. Uh, Greg DiTillo, for decades, has uh, been a a guy who's worked in the insurance industry, not just in his uh, own company, um, and his current uh, company is Datillo Consulting, and they work and talk with uh, insurance companies. They also underwrite insurance and have, have done a lot of various things in on both sides of the insurance equation in the in in the insurance industry for healthcare. He's an expert. They're members of the National Association of Health Underwriters. Uh, Dave Racer is a uh, he's got an MLET degree. He is a master's degree. Both these guys have advanced degrees. And um, uh, Dave is an author. Uh, He's a researcher in this area as well, too. And uh, these are guys I've known for a lot of years that really understand health insurance. Now, uh, I wanted to get you guys on, Greg and Dave, because I was listening to the last debate, the pr- last presidential debate, and uh, when the healthcare issue came up, I get very frustrated every time I hear this uh, issue of it's a health, healthcare is a right. And you know, I, I come from a free market perspective. I know you guys do too. And, and I sit back and ask myself every time that I hear this false narrative laid out there that the problem isn't the fact that people can't get access to healthcare as a natural thing to do in life. The biggest problem, and there are, there are people that fall through the cracks, even if there are no regulations at all. But, but the reality is the real problem today with people that can't get healthcare is because the government is so deeply involved at every le- almost every level of government, certainly at the federal and state level, um, I want to start with you, Greg. Greg, what's, what is the problem here that exists in healthcare right now that we're, I mean, fundamentally, that we're really, truly dealing with at the core, in your opinion?
1: Well, you have family uh, premiums now averaging, and employer-based health insurance is over $21,000. That's over $10 per hour, And that has been creeping up year after year while uh, the um, so-called experts have been trying to fix the system. Well, their record has just been horrible as we all know it because you have healthcare that is just literally unaffordable to individuals. Well, uh, the biggest difference of why it's cost so much, Is you have what we call cost shifting with the um, government programs right now. Medicare, Medicaid pays about thirty to twenty percent of what private insurance pays. So there is no price transparency. So if people knew that when they go see a doctor and they uh, the insurance company says, "Oh, we're going to have to pay them three hundred dollars," and Medicare is paying for the exact same um, see, uh, uh, same code, $100, that's three times different for the same service. Medical assistance, they're at $60, $70 instead of $300. So the cost shift is gotten so great that the private insurance is, is uh, ready to burst because you have more and more people getting onto reimbursements that are a fraction of what the providers can actually live on. So that puts all the pressure on the private market, and that is uh, that's your main reason today why healthcare costs so much for the private market. Where if you're on a government plan, you don't have any major additional cost. You uh, know,
0: um, Greg, I, one thing that I find interesting when when your average American looks at this. Now, you and I, we've had to run payrolls. You've done it on a larger scale than I have, but we've had to run payrolls on a regular basis. Now, you have an employee, and they, in their mind, make a certain amount of money, either on an hourly basis or an annual basis. But they never look at the back end of these P&Ls like you and I do, and we say, yeah, that's how much you make, but you cost me this much more. And health insurance is the largest factor in that. So someone that makes uh, $50,000 a year to the employer, they're costing 60 or more thousand dollars a year in many ways. And when you take in the uh, the, the FUDA, you know, the, the old FICA tax, the old uh, tax that you pay towards Social Security and Medicare, you know, the employer part of that, plus health insurance, plus other uh, benefits that they give, and, and they don't realize this is not just dragging down the healthcare economy, it drags down the economy in many ways.
1: Well, thank you, government. Yeah. They require, since 2010, after the ACA was uh, uh, implemented, they require all small employers to charge one to three times more depending on your age. So a young person, okay, pays $100, an older person, pays $300. So under the law, you have to have different age bands. Well, all that does, it pits employees against other, the young against the old, where if the employer can just have one rate and from the insurance company to say, hey, it costs X amount of dollars and we don't care how old you are, but it's against the law because Obamacare prevents, it's required that it's age banded all the ways from age one all the ways to age 65 every year. So it's it's a total mess in regards uh, with trying to figure out what this employee should pay and whatever, and it's totally unfair.
0: And in, in, in other words, for people that might not be following closely, when you cannot underwrite, you know, what do this actuarial work and, and try to blend in all the different people in the various age groups you get benefits when you have younger people on your uh, on your payroll and it used to be that employers when they were hiring people you know they, they there's always the risk of of uh, discriminating against older people but, but what would happen is the discrimination was less in the past because those older people didn't count so much against you in your health insurance. Now you put pressure on employers to want younger people to be hired. They may not be as productive because they're okay. still growing in their career and the older people can bring benefits, but then you age band these people. And, you, and so you say just the older people have to be underwritten with other older people. Now you're, you're, you're skyrocketing your insurance costs.
1: Well, it builds the case for the government to lower Medicare eligibility from 65 to 55. So is that really what they're up to? Some say yes, some say no, but that's exactly what's happening is the number one reason why uh, individuals uh, don't retire until 65 is because of their high cost of health care? So with the government forcing insurance companies to age band, there's no way of getting out of it, and it just creates another problem.
0: There's no doubt about it. Um, now, you guys have been working on various projects for many, many years now. I know that, uh, uh, Greg, you ha- you're directly connected in to what insurers and what uh, employers are going through in mm-hmm. this process. And I know you guys have been working a lot of years to figure out what, what, how can we take a step, how can we encourage legislators to take steps to get there. Dave, you've written some uh, books together with Greg. I know that you, you kind of provide the research and add to the research and to the construction of these. Tell us a little bit about some of the things that you guys have been uh, talking about through the years through various books and stuff. What, what, what would you say is your approach? It's kind of
2: remarkable. Uh, Greg and I have been working together actually since 1992, when I was doing talk radio at the time, and he heard me <laughs> talking about healthcare, and uh, he said, "Hey, you actually know something," and we uh, <laughs> formed a working relationship, and uh, that's morphed into a very close friendship. But um, at that time, we were fighting single payer healthcare in Minnesota uh, in the early 90s. Uh, in fact, we had had a single-payer bill passed, and Minnesota was vetoed by a Democrat governor, believe it or not. He understood that the state can't afford to do that for everybody, but that was just another step. You know, you talked about at the beginning the uh, idea of the right to uh, health care, and we don't even know what the word health care means, but uh, does that mean insurance? Does that mean actual provision of care, and does that mean a moral right or a legal right? And, you and I, I know we love to get into these philosophical discussions, but uh, you know what was it was crossing my mind in my speaking across the state of Minnesota. I am an agent from central Minnesota. Show me, are you ready for this? A group health insurance premium from 1965 for 46 cents a month and $1.64 <laughs> for a family. <laughs> Now, it was totally different insurance at that time. We're not trying to say it's apples to apples, but that, I think that's the lesson. When uh, when Congress finally passed Medicare in 1965 and added Medicaid, uh, health care for low-income people, started out as a relatively modest program, spending about, I think, $9 billion in the first year and is now spending closer to a trillion dollars. Uh, it's an incredibly... Uh, powerful program. I, I have to tell you, as a senior who's on Medicare, you kind of get to appreciate it, you know? Sure. But um, but we worked all our lives and paid into the fund. I'm kind of off on a tangent here. But um, I, I think the point was, and we had this discussion earlier, people got health care before there was Medicare. Uh, I was a senior in high school when all that was going on. I remember the debate, you know, that grandmas had to eat cat food because they couldn't afford to get their doctor bills paid and it was all baloney that
0: right
2: the percentage of seniors that did not have uh, some sort of medical coverage or hospital major medical was less than four percent at the time and we created this whole new program here's the thing that and, and to get where we are today greg uh you know how this was i mean it started with an entitlement for seniors so the wealthiest seniors and the, the least wealthy, could be in the same doctor's room at the same time, on the same basis, getting a subsidy from the government, although very small at the time, uh, has grown into this massive uh, uh, foundational program for regulating all of healthcare. And what the Affordable Care Act did was take that foundation that had been building over the years from HMOs to managed care to all sorts of other things, into this massive consolidation of policymaking in Washington, DC. So that's a complicated answer to do we all have a right to health care? We probably all have a moral right to having the community come around us, not moral right, a moral obligation to care for our brothers and sisters, which is a whole different thing. We used to go to, uh, I remember, uh, county hospitals You know, healthcare clinics for uh, indigents, for low-income people, uh, uh, dental clinics for low-income people uh, um, that were very, very common. Here today, Greg, in Minnesota, we haven't talked about this. The health clinic that he and I went and viewed several years ago is almost out of business. They can't afford to function anymore. Obamacare did this to us. Obamacare has made this situation so much worse That $2,500 savings we're supposed to get in uh, premium, what is it, $7,600 this year now for an individual and a group health insurance plan. I mean, it's absolutely insane.
0: Well, you know, looking back, so that $0.46 policy you referred to uh, back before the 60s is a little over $4 today, and it was $0.46 a week or a month? Uh, $0.46 a month. Yeah, so... Now, what, so what's the difference? And Greg, this gets into some of the history of this. Con- consider this for a minute. That that was a major medical policy. I mean, we didn't start, I mean, there there were some new plans that were developing uh, through the 50s and 60s that weren't precisely that major medical plan, which hopefully we'll get into some definition of that for folks. But basically major medical was uh, a whole lot like what a health savings account pays for now minus that savings in. It's just that the, that severe circumstance and problem that sends you to the hospital, maybe not so severe, but you know, relatively severe. When you got to get into the hospital, Major Medical paid for that. That plan for 46 cents was roughly that kind of a plan. Again, minus this tax deductible savings part that the health health savings account does these days. What's interesting is in those days, people took care of their general medical bills on their own at their own expense and frankly you were talking about great transparency earlier everybody knew what it was going to cost to go to their doctor and if they didn't like their doctor they could go to a different one a health uh Health maintenance organizations, and in some cases, uh, preferred provider programs, restrict you in a way from doing that. You could go anywhere you wanted to. You could get the treatment that you wanted. You could you could uh, refuse to take treatment if you didn't feel it was appropriate to you, and then you just had this plan that took care of these huge things. Greg, I, I mean, is does isn't that difference between what happened what was available to Americans in the 40s, 50s, and 60s, and today, isn't that the biggest part of the problem as we see it right now? Jim,
1: you you hit it right on on the head. Let's take Canada, okay? They have what's called a Medicare for all uh, uh, policy for all their uh, individuals. Um, It's just like our Medicare system, but it extends everybody. What a lot of people don't realize is that Canada excludes under their Medicare plan prescription drugs. Yes, prescription drugs. So you go, oh, well, why don't I buy uh, uh, prescription drugs from Canada because their price is lower? Well, you're exactly right. So what you have in Canada is price transparency because it's a cash deal with prescriptions. Now you might have an employer (laughs) that uh, uh, purchase a uh, prescription drug plan that pays part of it. And that's one of the uh, you know hooks that an employer uses in Canada, but the general population, they pay their prescriptions out of pocket. So here, the one thing that Dave and I uh, found a few years ago was they do have a, uh, a law for um, generic drugs. What you'll find is if you go shopping in Canada, your brand name drugs are going to be 20 to 30% of the price that we pay here in America. However, if you buy a generic, you're going to pay more in Canada than you will here. So Dave and I going, well, this isn't, what's going on here? So we dug into their Medicare for all plan and found that the government requires generic drugs to be priced at what was it, 63% of a brand name. That's how they protected the, uh, um, the brand name uh, Big Pharma um, manufacturers by setting a law that uh, will protect you from the low-cost uh, generics by requiring their price to be 63% or lower or, or higher of what you're going to charge uh, under your brand name uh, uh, drug. So what happens is the market drives the price. So here, it's just like uh, Claritin. When that came off of the um, um, uh, insurance companies where it was an over, a, 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 a drug that you had to get a prescription for, when it became over-the-counter, Claritin used to cost $300. And then the day it came on the marketplace where insurance wasn't going to cover anything, now the consumer had no clue it was costing 300 because they were only paying a, a 5 or a $10 copay right. and the insurance company was paying right. everything else. So, to make a long story short, people found out then if they wanted Claritin, they could pay $25. Well, what happened? The price came down 80, 85% because it had to meet the the marketplace, just like any right. other product. And right. that's all we're going for is we need the price transparency in a simple way for the consumer to be able to price out different providers in a, in a very
0: simple and cost-effective way. So essentially what we find out as all the politicians in Washington are saying, we need prices just like Canada, We figure out it's not something that we need the government to demand. It's something that if we were in all of our insurance plans right now to make people pay for prescriptions out of pocket, the chances that someone is going to go broke paying for uh, any of these prescriptions is really, really low because it's rare. You're talking about uh, the types of drugs that are entirely experimental that are rarely purchased because uh, it's only unique circumstances. And we could probably find a free market uh, not-for-profit solution to help in those cases for when someone is really in a bad shape. Am I missing anything here?
2: Uh, there's no question. I just did a uh, paper, Greg and I. Uh, we're doing a lot of writing together now again. And uh, the highest price drug last year was $73,000 a month. <laughs> And over another one was $2 million for the year. I mean, it's crazy. Okay, so those are so rare. Um, Speaking as a senior here, uh, and I have to take a few things. I'm absolutely amazed that I can buy my entire prescriptions for $12 for 90 days. I mean, come on. And I know what the price is. Now, if I was paying full price, uh, it would be more, but it would be generic. It would be very, very affordable. Uh, So that's, you know that's uh, prescription drugs. I think we're talking about the transformation from uh, from Medicare uh, to today, and all the factors that have been driving price. And you got to understand uh, the healthcare industry, probably health insurance industry. Greg would agree, uh, the most regulated industries probably that there are. Uh, and and right. excuse it, you know, trying to protect us, of course, our health and our finances, but. Uh, what they're doing is controlling our lives. But uh, we went from, you know, relatively affordable indemnity health insurance plans to HMOs that were going to keep us healthy and we'd never get sick and they'd never have to spend money on us. You could say, how did that work out? You know, now to managed care where uh, the insurance companies and the managed care companies are telling the providers how to practice to the Large. This is a trend we talked about years ago, Greg, was the consolidation of health care, uh, where now there's five major insurance companies that write 82% of the group insurance in uh, the country. So, uh, and then you see from, I, I mentioned St. Joe's Hospital here in St. Paul. It's a great, great example. It's the oldest hospital in Minnesota, uh, 19, or 1853. Can you imagine?
1: Yeah, Founded that's by amazing. Who?
2: the Sisters of the Koran religious organizations that found all these Catholic hospitals and Jewish hospitals and Lutheran hospitals and so Methodist forth. Methodist hospitals, everything, Methodist, yeah. No if the names are still there, sort of. Yeah, right? they are, yeah. But it's now owned by M Health Fairview, which is a huge conglomerate, and uh, they've decided they can't make it work anymore, so they're going to shut it down and create uh, housing for the homeless and uh, you know some mental health programs. I know St. Joe's Hospital really well because I spent 15 days there in intensive care many years ago. Um, and uh, this is this is unfortunately uh, big money, uh, big everything, big government has so complicated this thing. How about with pharmacies, Greg? You saw it with uh, with one of your clients and the consolidation from where a company had to go in and buy out Ma and Pa's stores because they couldn't comply with HIPAA and all the complications.
1: Yeah, the, you know, the, the pharmacy is definitely a 500-pound um, a gorilla, but the 2,000-pound gorilla is simply this. If I could get an insurance company to pay at the same rate that Medicare pays, instead of $21,000, a year I could lower that premium down to eight thousand
0: now explain so, that Greg how, how can that happen what's what is the key factor there what
1: what drives insurance rates is not admin costs admin is governed by the uh, by the federal government these uh, employers that have fifty or less employees or individual policies the insurance companies get to skim twenty percent off the premium to pay for their expenses. If you're a large group where you got 51 or more employees, then you're at 15%. So if the premium's a million, the insurance company uh, has 150,000 to cover their overhead if you're a large group. Now here, what drives the other 80, 85% is the amount of money they're paying to the providers. Well, if the provider's paying $300,000 for a bone marrow transplant and Medicare's paying 100000 they don't have to pay, uh, collect more premium because they're only paying out $100,000. So all I'm saying is, I would love to have an insurance policy where I pay at the Medicare rate or even the Medicaid rate the Medicaid rate, okay, is less uh-huh. than the Medicare rate. So uh-huh. now we're down to about $6,500 from 21,000. I just resolved the problem, which is basically what a public option is. When uh-huh. the uh, Democrats talk about public option, they're going to have an insurance plan that's going to pay at the Medicaid or Medicare rate or somewhere in between. So that's why the private market will totally uh, blow up because we now have to raise our premiums even more because there's more and more getting onto the public option where they're getting paid. The providers are saying, hey, we surrender. We can't live off of what we're getting paid. So if you go take the deep dive in a single payer where everybody's getting paid at the Medicare rate, you're going to have massive layoffs. I mean, just, you work the numbers and it's, you know, it's just, there's no gray here. It's just that the providers need X amount of dollars. And if we go to a open market free enterprise where pricing is, um, uh, you know, like here in Minnesota, you could get a hip replacement for 6,000 or 44,000. Same. all the prices are in between there so if i go to a place where the hip costs 44000 i should have more out of pocket cost than if i go to a place with 6000 but nobody knows that yeah. this provider's paying or is at six or 44. And that's what, you know, Dave and I have been pushing now is the Medicare percent uh, disclosure that uh, all the providers would have to uh, um, state what percent of Medicare do you accept as full payment? And, and, it's, and,
0: it's, yeah. and by the way, you know, <clears throat> in do, in taking that approach, Mm-hmm. Where there is the price disclosure, it's not that everyone's going to get forced into Medicare and Medicaid costs. Oh, no. It's that you're just going to know what it is you are paying. By the way, and before we dig into that, so you look at what Joe Biden is is uh, has been proposing during his presidential run. If he if he has a public option where he places the price structure into the Medicare and Medicaid range like you just said, you, people are going to run to that. Okay. So it is going to it destroy private insurance. Ultimately, it may put it down to a small, small section of the society for some time. But fundamentally, that really is the next step towards single payer healthcare. Am I am I correct in that? There's no question
2: that uh, that's where it's headed. And he misstated, um, I know, in, uh, in the last debate, what the public option was, and that we don't, probably have to correct them here. But uh, we know from the legislation here, and we've studied the legislation, pays providers at a rate between Medicare and Medicaid. Providers can't afford to function at that level. Either they will drastically reduce the quality of their services or replace physicians with less, you know, qualified individuals. That's another whole argument. Sure. Uh, or they're going to close down and there'll be uh, less health care, as it is in Canada, uh, for critical needs anyway. Uh, it's, it's, you can't beat the money. I mean, it's like a debit credit system. If you take something away, you're going to
0: lose something. Well, uh, well and listen, so, the free market, <clears throat> or let me put it this way, market forces don't stop existing because governments become socialists. No, Market forces plus, still work. This, this, Adam, this Adam Smith guy actually was right. What yes. we don't evaluate is how those market forces operate in a government controlled system.
2: So there's something I, I need to add. I was thinking about this when Greg was talking uh, with Medicare. If you're a Medicare provider, you have to agree to accept Medicare. You can't get Medicare plus a penny, Okay, so you're restricted. If you take Medicare and Medicaid patients, you're restricted on what you, because you could say, well, well why not have a, you know, a free market if they're gonna have the public option and people that don't wanna participate? Well, the providers have wraps around them and what they can charge. Uh, and so we've, we've speculated about this many times. We'll end up with a, a government care system for people who don't wanna pay, refuse to pay, don't want to pay, and you'll have a system for private individuals who want to pay and can pay. And this already is functioning in uh, the National Health Service in England. Uh, with, the, uh, with the doctors, uh, I'm trying to think of the name of the street, but uh, it's a very famous street in, in London where uh, you can go and get cash practice doctors, even in that system. Hmm. But not everybody can
0: afford to do that. No, so, but, and people come down from Canada to get it, to our, to access our system as well. Yes,
2: they do, especially in northern Minnesota, where some of the yeah. clinics have more Canadians in them than they do Minnesotans.
1: Jim, uh, yeah. let me tell you, it's just a true story. My mom, the, uh, her primary provider basically saved her life because she was being over Medicaid and they figured it out. The next time I brought my mom to the doctor, I was sitting in the office and I said, I really appreciate what you did for my mom. Here's a hundred dollar bill, cash, just take it. And he goes, I can't take it. I can't take it. Okay. So what Dave is saying, it's the law. And if somebody could pay an addition over that, it's against the law for you to do it. I mean, what kind of government regulation is that?
0: Yeah, it's crazy. Now, by the way, this is a good time to. I want to put some perspective on this. So, Greg, I want to go back in history, because I, I, addressing this issue of what is a medical care right, okay? When we're to, and 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 Dave, you mentioned earlier, it's like, well, so what does that mean? I mean, I, the, people don't under. We have been so imbibed in uh the great society programs as it relates to to medical insurance medicaid medicare and some of the other things that he did that, that we don't even understand that there's something there I, there are people in the uh who were born in the early baby boom who don't understand about health insurance so what health insurance by the way d- didn't always exist in human society But I think historically, a lot of people don't understand that most of the healthcare problems that existed when medical insurance in in any major way didn't exist uh, was really just because of sanitation problems, not so much because of the provision of the healthcare to deal with those sanitation problems. So if we go back uh, and I I talk about this history and Greg, I want you to correct me on it, but I just want to set it up here. Um, I talk a lot about how people don't know that Medical insurance, as we know it today, has gone way beyond this, but it began in a price fixing uh, setup by the government during World War II. It had its; it was starting to begin a little bit before that, but it really got ensconced into American society. Any kind of real substance of insurance, because price, or excuse me, wage controls during World War II had put employers at a disadvantage. They couldn't be competitive in the employment market. It was hard to hire people because the wages were set and you always couldn't always get the quality of employee that you wanted because there was a ceiling placed on those wages. So what they were trying to do was trying to distinguish themselves from other employers by providing other benefits outside of the actual wage control. And that's where major medical insurance came from. Talk a little bit about that history, Greg, because I think that's a, an important thing to understand when we're, when we're thinking through how we even got to where we're at.
1: So what you basically said, you is what we experience today is the premiums that employers pay is not included as income. So there's no tax on the premium. And then if you set up what they call section 125 plan, the employees could also put money in pre-tax. And that was exactly what you said. After the war, there was a price freeze, so that was an additional benefit. That employer says, "Hey, Blue Cross, which was a hospital plan, and that was what was first because doctors and uh, you know whatever uh, was not uh, eligible. Just basically inpatient hospitals where we started. So that's where it started with Blue Cross. Uh, of uh, each states uh, have has what's called an association plan." So as time went on, we kept on adding and adding. When I first got into business back in the uh, middle 70s, there was, uh, maternity was never covered. Physicals weren't covered. uh, Those were uh, drug and alcohol coverage. These things were added on as time went on. So what you have is elective surgeries now, okay? Which is, as you could tell, a major, major funding thing with the providers is elective surgeries, new hip, new knees, new shoulders. Uh, it's all elective. So this here, insurance covers all of that. They, you know So the more things insurance covers, the more it costs in premium. So as we evolve here, okay, the problem is, is we don't know what the price of these things are. If you get into the LASIK surgery, it used to be $10,000 an eye that when it first came out in the early 90s. Now, you if you uh, uh, clip a coupon, you can get it for two, $300 an eye. I mean, why wh- why has the price come down? Because it's cash price, it's not by insurance. And these um, uh, ophthalmologists, they have these loan plans, to even pay you know, 300 or $1,000, whatever they charge over a 12 or 24 month period. So they figured it out and that's how the private market works. But when everything is in secrecy, there's no way of, of controlling prices because The only ones that know the price is the insurance company, the providers, and government. The end user, which is the consumer and the employer, they have no clue of what we're talking about, about Medicare paying a fraction of what they're paying. And when you tell them that, they look at you like, right. That can't be that different. And it is.
0: You know, it's interesting. Maternity wasn't always paid for. Right. Yet birth rates were still on the rise prior to Roe v. Wade, which was yeah. part of what's dropping overall birth rates. Sure. So if we if we take 73 on and forget that for a minute, birth rates were still on the rise or steady. I mean we had the baby boom generation, right? Yeah. yeah. And and somehow everyone was getting their children born. Now yeah. I, I don't know what what I, I don't know the numbers of for example, how many babies died uh, per family or whatever. And and those were probably a little bit higher, but the change wasn't insurance. It was, it was uh, the advances in, in medical provision, but people were having a lot of children in the forties, fifties, and even going into the sixties and they didn't have that maternity covered.
2: Hey, Jim, I'm a uh, second year of the baby boomer generation. 1947, <laughs> so, uh, yeah, we uh, we knew Dr. Loken personally, and uh, yep. he came to the house when I had the flu, and uh, and it was two dollars or three dollars and all of that. We're probably never going to go back to that. But um, fact of the matter is, uh, we as a society have demanded more and more of lots of stuff in healthcare. Boy, when somebody else is paying, it's really attractive. I, well, and I, I took my and- glasses off because. I have new eyes, you know, had cataract <laughs> surgery this year, and it's yep. absolutely wonderful. Yep. But, uh, and Greg, you know, full well, confession if I had to pay out of pocket uh, and and it was $20,000 an eye, I would never do it. But, but was-
0: LASIK, l- listen, LASIK. 500 an eye. <laughs> listen, we've got the baby boom generation that, that you guys fall into. I'm at the very end of it. Um, you, you, there are lots of people with cataracts, right? And oh, yeah. if we, and, and if cataract surgery were the same as LASIK anybody could get it and yeah. the, and we know that there are people falling through the cracks in that right now that maybe yeah. don't have adequate insurance or yeah. can't pay the deductible for cataract surgery who are suffering and and how much less suffering would there be because again we get down to that 2 to 300 dollar an eye thing or whatever it would be I don't know what the actual price would be but we raise that up because no one knows what it costs i don't i'll bet you there are experts in in insurance companies sometimes that don't know what it costs oh but they're actuaries in 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 the non-optometric uh, aspect of insurance who right. would have no idea what that costs but they're expert actuaries i'll bet they have no idea what a cataract surgery costs so they, that, they're they're just as messed up as the average american because they're working in a different part of the health insurance i mean this is how crazy this system is if you ask me
2: yeah so we we try to find solutions uh, in the midst of all of this. And um, I think, uh, and Greg and I have talked about this so often, if you could go back to uh, true catastrophic health insurance and pay for what they call preventive care today, uh, which is a great share of cost, the low dollar cost things, uh, out of pocket, and know the price, you could bring the price of health care down, and you could insure for those major, major expenses uh, when I had my brain bleed. you know, I mean, I'm glad that I had insurance to cover. That's what insurance is for, for shared risk, um, not prepaid health care like we have today. Uh, whether the public would be open to that, um, I, th- I think some of the things, Greg, that you and I have been writing about recently are indicators that there are ways to do that, uh, even within the system using HSAs, in uh, health reimbursement arrangements and other cash payments, but they fail if you can't know the price.
0: Well, so let's set that up just uh, because you guys have a plan this year, but I want to lay one more bit of foundation. I want to put something in people's minds so that as we talk about some of the things you guys, and, and what you guys are proposing is a first step. It's a major first step and I think a significant one, but it, it, people may not understand it if we lay it out this way. So let's just take a look at the health savings account and, 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 um, and how that works. It's a catastrophic insurance, which pays just for major medical. You know, if you've got to go into the hospital, if you've got a, an emergency room uh, situation that pops up, uh, that there's a part of that that is an insurance product that actually just pays for that. Health savings accounts give people an opportunity to put in money in a tax deductible fashion that must be used for uh, health coverage. For those who have a section 125 plan, it's roughly similar to that. It's not exactly, it's actually more expansive in the things that you can pay for out of it. But, um, uh, and, and and the reason not to fear that is because we lived that way by and large for, most of uh, the 20th century in this country as med- and medical advances of major proportion were happening when people only had major okay. medical things covered. We made massive advances in healthcare that, that led and to the foundation of the advances that kept happening during this more government-run period that began roughly after the Great Society programs of 1965. Greg, okay. are people would people be at risk of only having insurance to cover major medical expenses even in this day and age i assume, assuming it were uh, more proliferated around the culture would would people be at risk or would we be relatively safe is there some difference between the 1950s when it was like that and if we just picked up that way of doing insurance and plopped it into today would it would we be that all that much worse well HSA plans
1: were developed for people to be concerned about price. That was the whole movement with high deductible health plans. They get an HSA. I'll buy a high deductible health plan. So I talk an employer in getting a HSA plan for their employees. So the sell was Employees are now going to get active in the price, whereas a uh, HMO plan and with a copay, they don't care what the office visit costs because it costs them ten bucks, twenty bucks, whatever their copay was. They were totally removed from price. So here you have high utilization because employees pay a premium. They re- they feel I'm going to run to the doctor. I don't have a thermometer but I'm going to go to the doctor and have the doctor take the temperature because I'm paying all this premium. So it just snowballed, and that was a big reason why that. But HSAs, the sell to the employer was, what we're going to do is we're going to have a a high deductible, $3,000 deductible, and then you're going to save on $21,000 premium now. That $3,000 deductible would cost about $14,000. Okay, So now there's 7,000 of savings. So now employer fund their HSA, give them part of that, give them $5,000 in their HSA for a family. So now this $5,000 is in their HSA. And now an employee goes, I don't wanna spend this. Do I get to keep it if I don't spend it? Well, of course you get to keep it, it's your money. Well, I'm gonna now do telemed. I'm gonna call virtual up pay $49 and not use up my $5,000 or whatever that the employer put into my HSA. So the problem is when I see the doctor, I always ask, how much is this office visit going to be? And the reply nine out of 10 times is, don't you have insurance? Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. I have insurance. I just want to know how much of my HSA am I going to have to pay because I got a $3,000 deductible. That was the whole movement behind that. And yeah. what we have had is the insurance companies never told us, the uh, consultants, that they have gag orders that the provider can't tell us what their negotiated rate is. It's called a gag order. Well, here we're out selling something out to the employer and telling them now just get the price we can't get the price so yeah. that's how corrupt this system is where why can't we find out what the price is i mean yeah. you know, there's nothing else you buy that you don't know what the
0: price is no that's right so so you're 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 promoting and and really trying to urge folks in the federal government, congressmen and people in the administration to understand about price transparency. That's the first issue. So what is it that you propose that people should do?
2: Can I, let me interject just a moment because Greg and I had uh, took the initiative um, in Minnesota when we had a, when we had some ears that could listen and actually do something Um, and we proposed a a transparency law for Minnesota that would have required uh, every every provider in the state to show us their Medicare rate, their Medicaid rate, uh, how much the insurance company paid, uh, and, and uh, uh, you know what they accepted as payment in full. And of course, that gets watered down, as you know, through the legislative process. And we did have a victory, a small victory, where uh, in our state, um, they have to post this in primary care clinics and Uh, OBGYN clinics and uh, um, pediatric clinics, they have to point their poster top 25 and they have to show all these different rates. Well, that's wonderful. I mean, we're very happy with that and they have to tell you the price if you ask them, they have to give you the price and so forth. We're very happy that that happened, but it's such a small part. And, And with the president's order that hospitals have to disclose all their price, what's wrong with it? It is too pick and complicated who can understand all that we went through and calculated in Minnesota what we call the medicare percent which was the percent above medicare that a provider will accept as full payment so yeah. hey, here's an example my wife just had surgery would you believe the anesthesiologist billed 1845 dollars medicare pays 180 that's a 1000% Well, with the Medicare percent, we could find out maybe that this provider accepts, uh, you know, $350, uh, that percent above Medicare for private pay patients. Um, And at least we'd have one index number if we required providers to disclose their Medicare percent. Uh, We'd have one index number for every provider. And so we kind of think that's another step Toward price transparency.
0: Well, so and let's let's let people understand that Medicare cost is is subsidized by every American. Yes. Through through from your paycheck in part every single week or month, however you're paid, uh, that money it's in the in that line item that pays them. It says Medicare there. That money is used to subsidize that lower cost for older people who are on Medicare at 65 and above. So uh, what we're talking about is not trying to get prices down to that level. We're talking about just letting people know the amount above that already subsidized price that, that people are paying. So if someone is paying uh 200 of medicare that may not be a bad cost that may be right on the market cost it's just that you'll be able to know when you compare this provider at 200 of medicare and this provider at 300 percent of medicare and primarily if we could get it to where you're paying out of your hsa uh savings (laughs) rather rather than through other forms of insurance but that's a little further down the road but but then you can say "Whoa, whoa, whoa wait a minute why are you charging 300 more I, i've got four other people paying doing it at 200 225 250 and you're doing 300 why is it that much i don't want my insurance to keep going up next year so i'm gonna i'm gonna go to the guy that does it at 220 percent. so greg talk about how then I, I think we've kind of explained it but kind of lay out this price transparency approach that you're looking okay. at
1: so it's real simple we've already got a bill jacketed in minnesota it's it's a page one page and it basically says All the providers have to disclose what Medicare percent they accept as full payment. Now, what we're doing is nothing new. This is how insurance companies uh, negotiate with the provider. Everything's based off of a scale, which is called Medicare. That's the standard, okay? Okay. So here, if Medicare uh, pays $100 and that provider says, I need 220% or $220 for all their services, that's the one number the insurance company negotiates is what percent of Medicare do you accept as full payment. So as soon as that happens, everything opens up. You'll have these information exchanges where you could look up any provider throughout the United States that's gonna have one number. It's gonna be the Medicare percent that they accept as full payment. So now you have that, okay? So that's step one. Step two is real simple. Insurance companies now, new insurance companies, not the current, cause you only got five, uh, uh, you know, it's a monopoly and they don't want to make any changes. Right. So you're going to have new insurance companies coming in the marketplace and they're going to say, we're going to start offering policies that pay the percent of Medicare that you choose. So an employer could buy a, uh, tell the employees, we have a plan at 150%, 200%, 300% of Medicare. So now it's up to you to buy whatever you want. Of course, the plan at 300% of Medicare, it's gonna be twice as much than a plan at 150%. But now at least the consumer could look around in their area to go, yeah, this provider's at 150. I'll buy the 150%. Why do I wanna get a 300% plan and waste all this extra money? That's and by competition.
0: Way, and by the way, let me interrupt there. I want you to keep going, But but let, let's just take a look at the situation right now. Most people- around the country that go into the Obamacare system, they can already get a benefit of this right now because most times they have an option between an HMO or a PPO or even an HSA plan in most areas of the country. So right now, someone that's on Obamacare, a sucky system, the thing's screwed up and this hopefully drives us away from that. But, but right now people can take advantage of this by getting an HSA plan. Am I, am I missing something here?
2: Oh, that's absolutely right. Yeah. Uh, okay. Is in knowing the price and being able to shop based on a simple formulation instead of this complicated tens yeah. of thousands of codes that nobody understands except the people who code them.
0: Uh, and listen, I- I'm on an HSA plan because I'm I'm sick. I, I I've always had a Section 125 plan. Because I wanted to be able to get some things on my own. You know, it's the closest I could get. It was highly, it's highly limited. You lose it at the end of the year, you know, if you don't spend all the money. It's very hard to manage. A health savings account right now gives people the option to save, keep it with them, keep building it up. When you have good years, you're building it up big. When you have bad years, it draws back down. But in the long run, it's kind of like investing in the stock market in a sense with dollar cost averaging. I just keep going in every year and in the long run I'm, I'm going to tend to be okay especially if i start young so everyone can if if we get this price transparency the well, way you're talking about it greg everyone can or the, everyone can choose or most people in this country can choose to start taking advantage of it but yeah. then and so what this does right now is um now we can get take some baby steps to start managing our own healthcare again, like we did, and as by all uh, accounts, effectively, even as far back as the 40s and 50s uh, of the last century, where people could manage their own healthcare and what they did and choose what they do. So, um, next step. So, so, what that will lead to, you're saying too, Greg, Greg, is that it can now allow other providers to come into the market. When I started my family in the mid 1990s, there were far more than five major insurance companies that were controlling this, and we were in a bad place then. <laughs> but I think well, we, we probably had 20, 25 different major providers probably around the country at that time, and it quickly consolidated as more government came in. Now we're, we have a chance to open that up. So that's your second step. So go on from there, Greg.
1: So yeah, so those are, I call them, those are the payers. Those insurance companies are the payers. Now the providers are going to now become independent again because what you have found is all this consolidation where the hospital purchases the clinics and now the clinic uh, is owned by the hospital, which is all they're trying to do is get to the uh, uh, doctor. The doctor is the one who drives the patient with the revenue. So the hospital now, on average in Minnesota, a inpatient or a hospital um, uh, procedure is 350% more than an outside of a hospital procedure. So here, yes, the doctors make more money. That's how they you know draw them in. They, you know, to sell their practice to the hospital. They got predictable hours, which is huge. So those two things they basically have sold to the hospital so the hospital then says yeah we're going to pay you more money how do they justify the additional money is two ways they have a uh, um a um come on dave um
2: uh well they have a facility for facility you. A yeah profession. facility
1: charge and yeah. then the provider like my provider you know for a heart echo grant okay real simple he says yeah greg why don't you get, let's get you signed up for a heart echogram. I says, well, can I uh, go somewhere else or do I have to use you? He, You know, and he goes, no problem. You go anywhere you want. But if you want, just uh, when you leave here, just go up to the front desk and let them know and they'll get it set up for you. They make it really convenient. But me not knowing that it's going to cost three times more to have it at the hot, at their facility than an outside facility, that's what's wrong. And that's why we want, the price transparency, because if people own insurance policies that are based off the Medicare percent, they're going to have a financial reason to start asking, what percent of Medicare do you accept as as full payment? And there they go, oh, you're at 400 percent? Well, how about, uh, you know, uh, this uh, uh, local place at 200 percent? So they know they have an incentive.
0: So so we, we understand how patients can be benefited. We've talked a little bit about how the providers, the physicians, hospitals, and medical professionals of, of any sort, can be. and by the way, this, you know, we've had some innovation in terms of providers where we're now we have nurse practitioners and some other forms of practice, which frankly has been a benefit to the system. And it gives uh, consumers a little bit more choice, But it doesn't change the whole thing. Now we, we would have a renaissance in how providers are structured and function. We'd have more outpatient care clinics as opposed to hospitals, or at least we'd have a lot more that are aligned with hospitals so that you can get a first line type of treatment rather than having to jump all the way in. So this can help expand that. Uh, what is, wh- what's the effect on payers, the insurance companies and other payers?
2: Well, there'd be new kinds and new ones coming in, and new health plans, and uh, this is well. Let's uh, talk
0: about that. So, one of the things that's happening right now is there are individual doctors out there that have w- worked really hard to try to say, "Hey, you just pay me thirty bucks a month, and you I- anything you need, just come do it." And uh, you know that it, it has it's it's happened a bit. It's actually been decent. Of course, the other thing, although it's a government carve out, is that you've got these uh, charitable organizations that provide a different kind of insurance, which really in some ways can be inadequate for a lot of people. Uh, and it is very limited in what they can do. But, uh, but it, that, you know that, that's also been something that's been out there marketed. Neither of these have been able to thrive because of this entire situation. Do we see more of those types of organizations, association health plans that Rand Paul has talked about? Does this mean that we can bring some of those players into the market?
1: We just started in Minnesota with association plans, and actually right now uh, we're writing groups through an association plan. The average price is about 20% less than the small group pool. So you wonder, well, why is an association plan that only has 2,000 participants lower in price than an old established pool that the insurance companies had since Obamacare came in and they've got 500,000. So that doesn't make sense. The Larger the pool, you would think the rate would be lower, but these new association plans that, like in Minnesota, it's Blue Cross Blue Shield who's sponsoring this, uh, these association plans. So what, here's the dirty little secret, is prior to Obamacare, insurance companies were able to start up new pools. And when you start up a new pool, you always start off fresh. So that's why their rate is 20% below these old pools, because the way the law is written, you, got, you can't have new pools. You could just have these old pools by each insurance company until the new law got passed with association plans. So an association that means you know, something that you have in common, manufacturers, uh, um, um, uh, restaurants, whatever the association is. All the way is.
0: up to like the National Federation of Independent Business or NRA or some other yes, things type it, like it, that too. Right, right. On, the, so on the large that, end,
1: yeah. It should be something common with business. NRA would basically be the guns. But so yeah. make a long story short, that's why these association plans are now competing against the old uh, pools of that Obama set up in 2010. And you know, so that, that's helping, but long-term, is that gonna really be resol- resolve anything? I hate to say it, no. What's no. gonna resolve it is competition among providers. Dave, just tell Jim here, what do we see with the providers when the reference-based pricing type policies come out? What are providers gonna do?
2: Well, the provider is going to now know uh, uh, that he has to settle, he or she has to settle on a percent that they're going to accept as uh, payment in full. They're going to have to disclose that to everybody. Uh, the, the shopper, the, the healthcare shopper, consumers, uh, sometimes we say, is going to be able to get that number and they're going to be able to choose from among the uh, half dozen or dozen doctors in the area. Uh, based on price and quality. They're gonna be able to consult the health information exchange, not the health insurance exchange, health information exchange and find out about the doctors and what the patients are saying. And they're going to make the decision. I have 150% uh, reference-based price plan. It'll pay up to 150% of Medicare. And uh, this doctor charges 160%, but he's worth it. Why? Because he's closer. And my uh, best friend goes there and says he, you know, he's top notch and saved his life. Uh, so the consumer makes the decision, just as we would today. Uh, you know, I had to buy a, a hat a couple of days ago, and I looked at a level, several different ones on Amazon, and we use that as an example. And I could look at the prices and the styles and the quality and make a choice. Um, and we should be able to do that with healthcare. You can't when you know there's 150 different prices for the same hat. You can't do it. So uh, this, is, this is a way then of, of allowing the provider, or the doctors, you know, the doctor in the Southeast part of the city looks at the doctor in the uh, Southwest part of the city and says, I keep losing my patients. Well, I'm charging 20% more, no wonder. I'm yeah. as good, at, in fact, we went to medical school together. I know that guy, he's a good doctor, but I'm just as good. I'm gonna have to reduce my price.
0: So, so, there are a couple, a couple other areas, just to respect your time here, where there is an effect. There's employers and government. Before we get to the government thing, what's the benefit to employers? What's significant about employers by taking this price to transparency approach?
1: Cost. Cost. <laughs> if we get the price disclosed where one provider is charging 800% of Medicare and one's charging 300% the employees are gonna know that, the end user. And that there is gonna, like I say, if we did ever get the price down to Medicare, which I don't think we ever wanna do because I think the uh, the care system would be kind of like Canada's care system where they run out of money and then on here, you know, you're not gonna have as many nurses and doctors because I mean, it's just, it's common sense.
2: Right. So, um, so for employers, they're having more options and uh, they're able to save money. Actually, they're probably able to uh, spend some money on other benefits if they want to. Uh, there's a misnomer out there that uh, uh, Greg and I have written extensively on this too. That you know, employers want to dump their groups and uh, uh, cut the costs and get rid of insurance and. Fact of the matter is, it's the number one desired benefit among uh, employees, and it's a reason that you retain employees. Uh, and it's very, you know, I mean, Greg's uh, average employment uh, of his staff is almost twenty years now. There, that's his most valuable asset, and he doesn't want to lose them. And he's certainly not going to say, "Well, go away. I don't want to give you health insurance anymore." Well, yeah. you don't, but you have to charge right. money for it. But uh, so. Uh, uh, for employers, there's just tremendous advantages. Plus, it, it flattens. They can predict their cost. Um, if it's only 100, if they buy a 150% plan, they know the max that it's going to be for
0: any. Employee. Well, and we're ways down the road uh, politically from ever getting to a place to my preference, which is I just want to buy my own health insurance and I want to direct it myself. And, you know, you. but that connection to employers now has been lost under Obam- Obamacare because so many employer plans went by the wayside because of that. Am I missing something here?
2: Well, hey, let me get something really current because uh, and I think I sent you guys both this article about uh, – with COVID, you know, uh, putting people on the sideline, getting laid off, suddenly they qualify for Medicare or Medicaid. I mean, yeah, uh, they, their income's dropped a little 138%. So now they're on Medicaid and they have jobs that pay them 150 grand a year. It's just they don't have that now. But they got a lot of cash assets. Anyway, they qualify. Now, when they come back on to employment and they're making their big dollars again, you can't kick them off Medicaid.
0: Yeah. This is okay crazy. so it is <laughs> crazy. And so so I, I I briefly scanned that article. I think, you know, yeah, you're gonna have people with six figure incomes more and more rolling into Medicaid yeah. now post COVID. Yeah. It's there you and, are. And, and and you mentioned, mentioned in the article something about they had they've recently in recent years, just like in the last couple, three years, started doing audits to see how many people were outside of the income threshold, and they found tens of thousands of people yes. that are that are there.
2: Plus, there's a clawback on expenses that people don't like to talk about. We had a big debate about that here in Minnesota, whether that was ever going to happen. Uh, but, uh, boy, the Commissioner of Health and Human Services literally ran out of his building several years ago on his cell phone and called me personally just screaming about this, that people with all kinds of assets can now qualify for Medicaid. This is insane. People and and we got to keep dollars. in mind, yes.
0: we have to keep in mind Medicare – the Medicare uh, payment chart is already a subsidized cost chart. In other words, the amount that Medicare pays is well below, in most cases, the market cost. And so we're subsidizing that, and Medicare is a good 20 30% below that. So you've got wealthy people, or not just wealthy people, but people that are, are firmly ensconced in the middle to upper middle class who are actually getting an insurance coverage that costs them far less, but costs all of us a whole bunch. Of course, the bottom
2: line here is there, is there a doctor who will accept that payment? And uh, I I don't know the percents anymore, 50%, whatever it is of doctors who refuse Medicaid patients, but that's going to change too. Uh, If Congress swings in, we have a Biden presidency. Uh, Doctors, I hope you're listening uh, you're talking about license requirements that you must must take medicare and medicaid patients
0: well and, and, and by know. the way let me and let me make this point as we get into the government as and political aspect of this those people you talked about here Making six figure incomes and on Medicaid. Yeah, they have a limited providers, but they're staying on the program. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, yeah. that just goes to tell you that there are plenty of people and anyone and and any of those people that fall into that category that didn't feel well served by Medicaid are going to quickly get off of it and go into another plan anyway. They're staying on because they're satisfied with the limited choices that they have but they're paying a whole lot less, obviously, because they snuck into the system. And remember, remember,
2: remember, people don't get sick all the time and use healthcare every day. Yeah. So you have Medicaid and you get a false sense that you've got everything covered and then something happens and you can't, you know, it's three months before you can see the specialist or, you know, you've got cancer. And I mean, you know, you don't want that
0: kind of coverage. Absolutely. So, so Greg, you talk about as the last uh, key aspect of this plan that you and Dave have worked on, the that um, the plan and program that you're talking about aligns government with consumers slash voters. Talk a little bit about how government gets realigned and then let's get into the political thing because I think we have a call to action for all of our elected politicians out there at the very end of this.
1: Well, The micromanaging is definitely a big issue, like we talked about with the age banding, where an older person pays three times more than a younger person and insurance companies can't do anything. Um, You know, take an industry where uh, government isn't micromanaging, and I always like picking electronics, computers, you know, that kind of uh, um, uh, industry. Well, what have you seen? You've seen more powerful Uh, better computers at a fraction of the cost because that's how the American economy works, is competition. And here, right now, we have the most unfriendly consumer marketplace in healthcare. There's no more unfriendly place there is with healthcare. And, you know, being uh, a consultant, I hear all the horror stories every day. And it's just, it's the disrespect of the patient on how they're being used. And that there is a lot of it is with regulations. I mean, why can you have a gag order? Why can't you disclose things? Minnesota, we finally got, you know, where you can't do a gag order anymore. And and, uh, uh, President Trump got the uh, pharmacy where a pharmacist could tell you what the uh, uh, cash price is, where uh, before they couldn't. I mean, it's just the swamp, I believe is the deepest in my industry because of all the secrets. And it's secrets is where we get in trouble.
0: Yeah. And by the way, these, uh, uh, to get a taste, even though it doesn't go nearly as far as it should, to get a taste of what could begin to happen is with uh, services like GoodRx, and those things, because now that all of this firm, the pharmacy information is public. Now companies like GoodRx and them um, can come in now and help you go get the better price. It, it's beginning to make a little bit of an impact, particularly for seniors, who uh, who, who really, and and people with children who have these surprise things come at them. And, and sometimes they just don't have the wherewithal to pay the deductible that they have to pay. I mean, that's the, the one thing we didn't talk about. We'd have to dig in too deeply, but deductibles are through the roof after Obamacare. And uh, that's one of the big, big reasons that people complain about the government part of this. But if you can get pharmacy costs down where the, the deductibles are huge or, or that you're really, there's no pay out for it at all. That's, that's a big factor. Jim,
1: you, you hit it right on the nail again. People don't realize I got good RX in my phone. Okay. Yeah. And it's like unbelievable where you can use these coupons. Well, here's the sad little truth that nobody knows. If you use good RX, what you pay to that pharmacy does not go against your deductible or your right. out of pocket costs on your medical plan. Right. How wrong is that? I mean, you would think the insurance companies would be jumping for joy that this came out because they could lower their costs. Well, yeah, no, nope, they not. don't like it. They don't like it because under the law, they get to keep 15 to 20% of premium. And what's the incentive for them to cut the premium by half? because their revenue is gonna go down by half. And that's right. the fault of the government again, where they mandate this uh, uh, guarantee of 15 or 20%, get rid of that and now insurance companies have to act like any other business where if they do things right, they have a profit and if they do things wrong, they go out of business. But they're guaranteed to stay in there as long as they can keep their uh, expenses below 15
0: or 20%. It's just- yep. Proof of concept to what you're talking about is a commercial that has Martin Sheen going like this about uh, pharmacy prices. Well, that's that's where people have been at for so long, and um, and the, the the other dirty little secret is the American market for pharmacies, for pharmaceutical companies. Excuse me, is a profit center. Whereas in places like Canada and some others where there is more price transparency, they're still making money. Um, I mean, we, uh, the FDA is a big problem, too. So, you know, that's just not something we'll get into right now. But the FDA and all these big costs of getting approved in the United States. But really, the FDA is another part of the reason why, why they want to keep the system the way it is. Big Pharma does. Because they have to recoup the cost for their FDA, but they're doing the research anyway, and it's already usable in many parts of the world at a lower cost. They just have to take care of this. But they have to take care of their costs here in this country. But there's still this is where their big profit center is, right here in the United States. To some degree, the European Union, but more so even here, it's worse here in the European Union, even. And and this is the thing that people don't understand. That's why good RX can work and and whatever the one Martin Sheen is doing can work is because they actually can sell the drug <laughs> at a different price structure, right in our own pharmacies right here. It's a crazy, crazy thing in my mind. Okay, so let's talk about the politics. We'll we'll close on this. Um, so we, in, in, in our work together, talking through these things, the three of us, we've talked about what the benefit is to politicians. To be candid, Democrats aren't gonna listen uh, some will, but they're, they're not going to tend to listen to what we're doing because right now they're in this path where they want control of healthcare. It's, it's just a control thing. It's not a practical thing. They don't even see it practically. They just want the control. So uh, right now Republicans have an opportunity if they want to take it, Since and, and any Democrat that wants to get into this. What's the political outcome to this? What do you see the potential benefit being? for politicians that are thinking through healthcare policy, particularly as uh, the as the courts are working against Obamacare and as Obamacare is really a dissatisfying thing for most Americans. Long lead up, but what are your thoughts on that?
2: Are you asking about campaign politics or about uh, after <laughs> to, to some you know,
0: degree, but I'm I'm really mostly heading towards legislation and yeah. and that yeah. sort of
2: thing. Yeah, and, and that's terrific. Which um, has
0: campaign politics effect, but that's yeah, where it's going to take place. But if they can
2: get it done the first 100 days, you know how that is. Yeah. Uh, there actually are so many things that can be done uh, with the current, even within the current structure. Uh, when we talk about replacing Obamacare. Uh, you know, what does that even mean? But we can chip away. Uh, we can restructure certain things that are in place. And. Um, I don't know, Greg and I have talked about so many things, but but what if you separate HSAs from health insurance policies and you make them available as tax-deductible uh, prepayments, if you will, or set-asides for,
0: for- For individuals you're talking about, or yeah, for businesses. Yeah, 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 yeah.
2: yeah, yeah. I mean, why, why does it have to be connected to a high-deductible health insurance plan that, uh, you know, is highly regulated instead of Giving the person the chance to set aside money themselves, and um, there's ways to do this. Um, uh, I think families should be able to do it, but that's my kind of my thinking but uh, you know but but our big deal is uh, is uh, requiring the Medicare percent disclosure uh, so that and, and this would probably have to be done through legislation, um, requiring that every provider, disclose their Medicare percent and uh, that they limit their subcontractors to the same percent so there's no surprise billings. And uh, there's a lot of pieces of that that, that would fit well. In uh, the politics of it, Jim, are that they can deliver better health care at a better price. They really can. It's not just rhetoric. Um, increasing competition, creating a, a consumer-friendly marketplace um, we write about the iPhone in our manual um, that we published earlier in the year. You see the price go down. And, and if government regulated every aspect of the iPhone, nobody could afford one, <laughs> especially if they
0: subsidized yeah. that
1: no one yeah. could afford
0: one. You can barely afford it now. But that's yeah, a great right? piece of equipment. But <laughs> Greg, what are your thoughts on that?
1: Well, we got a total of four bills uh, jacketed. Like I said, one was the Medicare percent. The other ones were... Um, Hospital-acquired uh, infections under Medicare and Medicaid. If you go and uh, you get a, a surgery and you get a uh, hospital uh, effect, uh, infection at the place of the sur- you know, where the surgery was, they don't pay anything. However, if you have private insurance, the hospital actually gets paid twice. You know the original and then whatever uh, uh, follow-up care, they get paid. So they actually make money if you get uh, uh, sick. And, you know, and I, I know they don't do that on purpose, but I could tell you this, if a hospital knew they had to self-insure that second claim where nobody was gonna pay for it other than them, I'll guarantee you their stuff would be a lot cleaner than if, uh, than it is right now. So why is there two standards? Here, when you see a doctor they always ask, "Give us a copy of your uh, insurance card." So you give it to them, and what do they do with it? You think they're verifying coverage that what they're going to do for you is going to be covered by insurance, or and they are telling you that yes, we are in the network. Well, they don't do neither here, right now. You sign a uh, unlimited liability uh, contract. When you ever see a provider that says you will you're responsible for 100% of whatever we charge you that your insurance doesn't pay. So if you're a uh, if your provider was in network and now they jumped and they're not in the network anymore, and they don't tell you that upcharge, you are 100%. I'm fighting a 6100 claim right now down in Florida where exactly that has happened. And you know the insured goes I didn't know this, nobody told me that they weren't in a network anymore, I gave them my ID card. So there's gotta be consumer protected laws that says if a provider's not in a the network, then they have to put in writing to the uh, 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 patient that they're out of network. Or uh, if the service isn't covered, because we can't even pronounce the, the words of whatever I've got you know, the patient has, okay? So here, they're able to verify coverage with my insurance company. That would also be where if a a service isn't covered, then they don't get paid. Those are just very, very simple, um, um, uh, you know, rules on that. But just to bring you back with control, the control is one thing, but it's the money that is the driving force. I have done this for years where I've talked to Canadians, I've talked to Brits, and I ask them, I say, I hear you guys pay really low taxes. And they look at you and they go, no, 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 we pay high taxes. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, that's right. Oh, it's because of your large military budget, right? And they go, no, 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 it's not. It's because of our health care. Yep. Oh, OK. So why is it that the government wants health care? because that's the printing press of the money machine. Right. Because here, if, you don't, if you're not willing to pay high taxes to save the, you know, the young children and the uh, you know, seniors and whatever, you're kind of a bad person. So, I firmly believe the whole reason that they want health care, which is the most toxic legislation you could have, is health care. And Racer and I wrote that in 2010, prior to Obamacare, where he basically says, if you get this wrong, you will be replaced. The American people will not forgive you. And what happened in 2016? They all got basically replaced, other than the presidency. And yeah. That there is why I firmly believe they want the uh, healthcare is, yeah, control, but it's the money machine that lets them fund all their other uh, uh, projects.
0: Yeah, yeah, there's there's no doubt about it. And, uh, you know, if we don't solve this problem, it's going to get outrageous. I think it's really interesting. A lot of people don't know this. Margaret Thatcher was an amazing uh, – Conservative understood economics well. I mean, from a an an Austrian economics, you know, Hayek and von Mises and others advised her, but it was very interesting. When it came to the National Health Service, which is the single payer plan in Great Britain, she could not argue against it. The political will was too much against it. Even she had to defend the National Health Service. And I know she bit her lip every time she had to do it because she knew it was a scam. She was able to get rid of uh, the nationalization, she could get rid of nationalized industries in Great Britain and could not get rid of the National Health Service because it's an arguing point that where you can scream bloody murder that something's going to happen to you when you lose your health care. And the reality is people will be more satisfied. They will get more done. Uh, States can fill in gaps that exist. If you have someone that's indigent in some way physically or otherwise, if you get the federal government out of it, Um, and get the free market back in, people are gonna be taken care of. And they don't see that now because we've been so long into this system. I think that what you guys are talking about is a great first step. It may not even be a perfect first step, but it is a real first step towards getting back to the place where we can all be satisfied. If politicians are willing to do it and do it right, they are going to find satisfaction by and large, the only people screaming are gonna be their political opponents, and the, but they'll have the numbers behind them. So oh. th- there is a real way out of this problem. Right now, more than 50% of our healthcare is controlled by the government, between the Veterans Administration, Medicare, Medicaid, the DOD, and federal um, and the federal uh, healthcare system, which is a little bit more loose, it's really kind of a mix of on Obamacare, but it's still government-controlled and directed healthcare is more than fifty percent of our healthcare in this country. If we can get rid of that, we can veterans can do better. They can leave the VA system, it's driving them nuts. Even though you know Trump has done some good, taken some good steps, and and continued some good steps that have been there, um, but they'll get off of the Veterans Administration. People, elderly people, or Older people, I guess I should say, over 65, many of them are going to say, why do I got to keep buying this Medicare supplement insurance and go through all this rigmarole every year? I just I'd rather do it this other way. There, there are some real ways for people to be satisfied. We can really transform health care in a way where people are going to be much more happy and not have to feel like the government's going to control them because the American people right now don't want single-payer health care. I believe they don't like Joe Biden's plan for healthcare. And as far as I, it, it, unless you're a political activist, you don't like Joe Biden's healthcare plan because uh, just it just doubles down on on sucky. So anyway, that that's what I see. The real gold ring is as we close this down, uh, Dave. What what do you what do you have to say? I mean, respond to that or make a closing statement on that somehow.
2: Sucky is a scientific term. <laughs> yeah, it is. I love it. I, love it.
0: Um,
2: I think. Another time we should do a program on foreign healthcare systems so we can dispel all those myths. Um, anybody that thinks that the government can do uh, health care better and cheaper uh, has got to be ready for uh, reduced quality of health care at a more, more, not more affordable, a higher price. And the price comes through a couple of things. It comes through taxes. It comes through more regulation of your private life. You think being ordered to wear a mask when you think it is maybe not that uh, profitable for you to do so. Wait till government runs your healthcare and uh, tells you, you will have this vaccination and you will wear this mask and you will do this and you won't do that. Why? Because, well, now it's tax dollars. So there's a lot at stake. Um, you know, Rationing and, uh, too,
0: by the way, yeah, you didn't mention rationing. Yeah, well, no, you a, can't have this. We should do
2: a, we should do a, just program yeah. on that alone. Seriously. Uh, yeah. So, um, it's a lot, frankly, a lot at stake in the election. There always is uh, with health care because it is uh, so political and so complex.
0: Greg, what would you have to say just to kind of close things out? Well, here,
1: Dave is right here. If people really understood how a socialized health care system works, I've been telling uh, people that if we get government-run health care, who's ever bringing that on you're going to have pre-existing conditions yeah. not covered why right because the ones that are the most seriously ill just look at canada who comes from canada to the united states to get health care people that got cancer and you know here if you're past a certain level it's like this isn't cost effective here you know your age whatever uh Uh, Back in February, I had a uh, UK UK, uh, woman that I uh, uh, met, and she had a limp, and uh, she was a little uh, heavier. And I says, why don't you just go get another hip? And she says, are you serious? I says, yeah, I'm serious. And she goes, I got to get my body mass index, my BMI, down to 26. It's never going to happen in my lifetime. I'm okay if I'm in a wheelchair. I'm, I'm serious. <laughs> people, wow You know, when you ask people from socialized uh, countries if they like their health care, they give you one of two answers: "God, it's the best thing since sliced bread." Or "I hate it." What's the difference? Is the ones that are healthy love it. Yep. The ones that are seriously ill hate it. Why? Because of? being cost effective. There's so many dollars in a globe. Well, that's why here, Jim, we do another one and we'll
0: uh, uh, we'll talk about social- Excuse the whole concept of insurance. The whole concept of insurance, and I haven't just said it on this show yet, but I was an insurance agent, did group benefits, did property and casualty insurance as well too. But the the whole concept of insurance um, can be well described in what happened in ancient China where you had people taking their canoes down the river to uh, take their rice crop for the year. And if any of them turned over, then they lost everything. But what they decided to do was they get in groups of 10 or more. and, And so if any one person lost their entire rice crop, Everyone lost a 10th. I mean, this is the whole thing. So the reason socialized medicine doesn't work is because it takes that whole equation out of it. You, as you said, the people that are healthy, they're fine. They love it. Everything's great. The people in a bad place, they hate it. It sucks. But, but insurance is about the worst cases not about the best cases. Yeah. And we've totally skewed that whole way of thinking. And, and it's why governments can't be actuarially accurate. It's why you have to subsidize it because they they can't make those kinds of decisions. There's no incentive to do it. And the purpose of government insurance isn't to be an insurance product to begin with. It's to be a political product to encourage people to vote for you and to keep them in your fold. And this is this is the real problem. I think it's the, the fundamental problem political problem that that we have well greg dotillo dave razor greg tell us where should people go to find out more information about what you're doing if if, if i can i'll i can share a, the pdf of your healthcare care plan maybe online we'll talk about that but what where do people go to find out more information about what you guys are doing
1: i'll let dave answer that one okay <laughs> these my communication yeah
0: <laughs>
2: the manual health 2020.com the manual say that again the manual healthcare 2020.com is uh, our website or if it's easier to remember dave that works too. That'll get you there.
0: Great. One, one, and
2: get you there. So I won't awesome. give you the business because it's a little more complicated, but.
0: Care about your personal healthcare. phone number,
2: please. Yeah. <laughs> I'll give great. a great well, phone number.
0: <laughs> well, I th- the manualhealthcare2020 dot com. We'll make sure people go there. We'll put that in the show notes online. Uh, Greg datillo. Dave Racer, first of all, I'm just glad for my association with you guys for so many years. I truly appreciate the work you're doing. You are the guys, two of the guys that are looking into healthcare insurance that no one ever heard of, uh, or at least not enough people have heard of, and we hope more will, because I think you guys have the right idea. We've got all these policy wonks out there. Figuring stuff out, and many of them have a lot of good information. You guys have had to deal with it practically for decades now. You've seen it on the inside, you've researched it on the outside, and people need to go to the manualhealthcare2020.com because that's one summation of all of it. We'll definitely have you guys back. I think we need to hit cover these extra topics you've discussed, but I think this is going to be really helpful for a lot of people. And thanks so much for coming on the Against Nice podcast. Great. Thank you, Jim. Thank you for joining us today on the Against Nice podcast. Please be sure to go to our website, nice.com. You can sign up for our email list there just at the top right of the webpage. And make sure to follow us on iTunes or Spotify or Stitcher or even the iHeartRadio app. And give us a five-star rating and let people know what you think about our podcast. Again, www dot politics isn't nice.com. join our email list at the top right hand of the page there and follow us on itunes spotify stitcher or iheart radio thanks for joining the show today we'll be back soon